The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Barron's Live. I'm Eric Savitz, Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's. I am very excited to have with me today Dan Niles, who runs the Satori Fund, a hedge fund that uh, invests in the technology space, among other things. Dan, welcome back to Barron's Live. Uh, my pleasure, Eric. So, Dan, you um, you had a, uh, in, in a very bad year for almost everyone last year, you did pretty well. You actually, uh, you made money in the Story Fund last year, which uh, very few uh, funds, uh, mutual funds or hedge funds or any other kind of funds could say uh, last year. And that reflected in part a pretty bearish view of the market coming into 2022. Let's talk a little bit about what you saw then, what happened, and how you're thinking about 23. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good way to look back because that's really informing how I'm thinking about things today. So if you think about when COVID started, 2020 20 and 21, everybody was stuck indoors, right? And so every consumer had to get online, and then every business had to figure out how to get online. Um, and so that drove a massive surge in spending in those companies that helped you do that. So the pandemic beneficiaries, the streamers, the e-commerce uh, vendors, um, all of them. Then you fast forward after those two years of being locked up 2020, 21 to 2022. And what we saw coming into 2022 was the fact that all of that stimulus that came in on top of COVID, so you take about five and a half trillion in government stimulus right. and you throw on top of that another 4.8 trillion or so in terms of the Federal Reserve expanding their balance sheet. That's over 10 trillion in stimulus. And so then you compare that against the U.S. economy. It's only about 21 trillion in size. So you've literally put into the economy about 50 percent of GDP in stimulus. Mm -hmm. So coming into last year, our view was inflation's not going to be transitory. It's going to be way worse than anybody's anticipating which means the Fed's gonna be much more aggressive than people are thinking and valuations were at sky high levels. And as you probably remember, the market was hitting all time record highs pretty much every day. And so that's why, you know, TV interview on December 29th, um, a year or a year or so ago, we said, you know, we think the market's down 20%, you know, potentially more. Um, and so that's kind of the core of what we saw now. I'll answer a question you didn't ask, which is if you look at 2023, what we see there is the natural evolution of 2022, which is 2022, all those consumer companies that benefited from COVID, you know, the Amazons and Netflix and you know, Pelotons, et cetera, you saw demand slow down because all of us, you, myself, everyone wants to get out and do stuff. So we're not sitting there streaming things and ordering things. We're going in person to movies and restaurants and on vacation, et cetera. And so what I see in 2023 is that slowdown we saw in more of the consumer centric stuff. You're going to see a slowdown in enterprise spending because you're just not going to have as many people um, at these companies as they thought maybe six months to a year ago. 
And so you're going to need less stuff to support them, whether it's web services or, you know, enterprise software or hardware, et cetera. So that slowdown in consumer that we saw last year, I see it moving into enterprise this year. And so that's the big picture way I look at sort of that evolution coming into last year and then now going into this year. Okay. So as we've started the year so far, um, the market's been uh, pretty buoyant. Um, stocks have been performing well. Not that's great today, but like uh, as we sit here, but, but it's been a pretty good start to the year. Now, as we've talked about many times, there were lots of rallies last year. Like we, there was no shortage of rallies. Now the rallies all faded eventually and, you know, and, and uh, turned out to be not entry points, but more sort of bear market rallies. Does this feel to you like that? Or is there something about this particular move that feels a little different than the others? No, it, it really feels like that with, with some nuances. Um, and so one way to think about it is everybody always talks about the Santa Claus rally, which technically defined is the last five trading days of the prior year plus the two trading days of the new year. And you got it. I think the S&P was up, I think, 0.8%, if I remember correctly, over those seven days. And then typically people talk about a January effect where the laggards from the last year do well to start the new year, or you can call it dogs of the Dow theory, you know, right. whatever power you want to look at it. But I have a screen that shows the momentum shorts versus the momentum longs. So the names that, you know, uh, we're in those two baskets. And what you see is the momentum shorts year to date are up 13%. The longs are up about two. Hmm. So again, it's sort of everything that was beat up last year, whether it's dogs of the Dow or you look more broadly at, you know, the, the market, which is what I'm doing. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing short covering rallies and, you know, Silvergate today, you know, is, is topical, right? The stock was up 25% or so. They lost a billion dollars, but the stock was also down, I think, like 90% plus from its peaks. Right. And so you're seeing it rip on a billion dollar loss, which wipes out multiple years of cumulative earnings. And that loss was greater than the 870 million or so that people were, you know, forecasting. So, right. you know, that's just sort of a example today of what's going on um, right now. And so, you know, we'll see how the year plays out. But I think the real interesting thing is going to be how stock prices of the big technology companies, where I think you could see some real issues, you know, on Microsoft or, you know, you pick your favorite name, how they react to earnings, where I think estimates are going to have to get cut quite a bit for 2023 when they give their initial guidance. Because most companies, right, that have a December quarter end, you know, they'll give you some inclination of, well, what are we thinking for 2023? I think that's where you're going to see the big cuts uh, to estimates, because I think things really slowed down at the end of last year into this year as people said, well, you know, I'm not going to have 10,000 employees. I'm going to have 9,000 employees. So I need less web services to support them. And I need less enterprise software or security software, less hardware. And, you know, everybody's focused on trying to conserve capital. And that's going to show up in those guides for 2023 because, a lot of most people realign their budgets at the end of every calendar year. So if, if you look at the dynamic of the market last year, um, as you lay out, a lot of it was driven by worries about inflation, aggressive Fed, interest rates rising. That's always bad for technology stocks, particularly high growth, low profit technology stocks. And that's the way it played out. 
kind of according to script. And then as you look into this year, it feels like eh, it's probably not done, but maybe it's closer to done than it uh, than it certainly than than starting. At least we all assume that that's true. Um, and now it feels, as you lay out, that the dynamic has shifted a little bit. That like the driver this time, um, or the pressure on the market this time comes not from rates but from this potential for a really bad year for earnings. And I wonder how you think that that combination of things uh, flows into the, the overall performance of the market, especially if the Fed starts to ease, or at least stops, maybe not ease, but like stops raising rates uh, sometime in the first half. You'd think that that would be pretty positive for the market. How much would, the, would a bad earnings period or two or three um, offset that, uh, you know, what would be a better environment for rates? Uh-oh. Dan, you're muted, I think. There you go. Huh? You're momentarily muted, but now you're good. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, a lot to unpack, I think. But uh, you're exactly right. If you think about last year, estimates for the S&P 500 kept going up through about June. And the market went down through June of last year because multiples contracted because of higher inflation, a more aggressive Fed. Then what you saw from July on when companies reported that June quarter, because every big tech company that reported them, or the mega cap tech companies, I should say, all of them saw their estimates go down for right. the next year when they reported, regardless of whether the numbers were good, like with Apple, I believe, had a good June quarter, and Amazon, I believe, had a good or better than expected uh, mm -hmm. June quarter, but the Ford estimates all came down. Um, and then that really picked up steam when they all reported their September quarters. And I think, you know, you're going to really see the impact of that going forward. And one way to think about it is estimates for 2023 for the S&P 500 at their peak were around 252 back in June of 2022. Right. That number now has been kind of is down to about 226 or so. And I think where it ultimately bottoms is around 200 when we finish 2023. And that's about a 20% correction from that 250 or so level, right? Going to 200. And by the way, that's normally what you kind of see in terms of adjustments during earnings, um, but during recessions when earnings have to get yeah. reset. And then the second piece of that is, well, what multiple do you want to put on that $200 in EPS? Right. And the way I sort of think about it is CPI obviously peaked, you know, over 9% come down into the sixes. Um, if you say it's going to be above 3% by the end of the year, and you look at 70 years of history of the stock market, when CPI is above 3%, the PE on a trailing basis is about 15 times. So you take 15 times, you put it on a $200 EPS, you end up with about 3,000 on the S&P, which is where I think it has a decent shot of getting to at some point during this year. Now, the and one you've been seeing that for a long time, I would point out, right? You've been yeah, saying yeah. that. Uh, quite a few S&P points ago. Yeah, we said that back in, actually, uh, I think we started talking about in May of last year. Right. We started the year, as you as you rightly pointed out, thinking the market would be down at least 20%, which at, the, at its worst, I think it was down 25 or so, I want to say, last year. Mm -hmm. um, and then we revised that to, you know, we think it could get down to 3,000 before all this is done, because as we saw inflation being much worse than we expected, and we think it's going to be stickier than expected, and we can get into that. But the main thing is jobs. You got about, you know, 10 million job openings, and you only got six million people unemployed. 
So I think it's going to take a lot of unfortunate pain in the overall economy to get that number down where inflation's under control. And so, you know, going back to, there's only two things that make up the level of stock prices or the market, it's earnings and the multiple on those earnings. Right. And I think the estimates that we have are pretty reasonable. The multiple is always the harder one, right? Because, you know, people have convinced themselves, well, it's going to be a soft landing, then, you know, potentially we've already seen the lows because any period of time when you end up with a bear market and you don't get a recession, you know, the market is down a little less than 30%. And so you can look at last year and say, well, maybe we've already seen it. I think the problem is the odds of a recession are really high, in which case the market is typically down closer to that 40% plus range. And so unfortunately, I think that's where we end up. Okay. So I want to take a moment to talk a little bit about uh, some of your uh, initial picks uh, for 23. You, you laid these out, uh, uh, I think, on your uh, website and in, in your Twitter feed a few weeks ago. And let's just, I want to walk through them. Um, I'm going to save the, the fifth the fifth one, uh, which uh, you probably can guess what it is. We'll talk about it a little more detail. Um, but so, so first of all, cash. Now, the cash was your big call going into... Uh, one of your big calls coming into 2022. Now, at the time, cash wasn't really paying you very much. Like now, cash actually is generating a pretty nice return, right? You get, yeah. um, so talk a little bit about, about that for a moment and we'll get to the other juicier stuff. Sure, yeah, and, and you're right. You know, last year we said, look, you know, cash was our favorite idea coming into the year because we're like, you're better off losing to inflation than losing to inflation and a decline in the stock market. And, but- if you had your money in three months T-bills entering last year, you got three one hundredths of a percent in interest. <laughs> so nothing. This right. year, you're getting four and a half percent in interest. So you're essentially getting paid 4.5% this year. Now, I think there's a really good shot. That's way better than what the market returns at some point during this year. Right. Um, obviously, if I think S&P is going to 3,000, right, that's going to be way better. And so, and you're getting the optionality of waiting for a fat pitch to buy these names as you get more confident that estimates have stopped going down. Because I think, you know, as you brought up, there were a lot of bear market rallies last year. In fact, there were seven rallies in the S&P 500 that averaged 9% each. You obviously didn't finish the year up 63%. And, and by the way, that's pretty normal. And we have some of that yeah. data on our website, danniles.com. I mean, you look at the Great Depression, right? The market had eight rallies of 24%. And you lost, I think it was 86% of your money over 33 months or so. Right. right? So this happens all the time. Um, and so that's why I look at cash and I go, look, this gives you the optionality to wait, let these companies report, let them guide. Let's see how bad it gets over the next six months, because I think that's when you see the full impact of these rate hikes. And you don't have to sit here and just, you know, go, oh, well, it's down a lot. So I don't think it's going to go down anymore. And you saw what happened last year with that thesis, where these stocks that were down 50 percent went down another 50 percent on top of it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the uh, it's the death of what uh, some people would call called the Tina uh, trade, right? We, Tina yeah. being an acronym for there is no alternative. Um, so you were in equities because you had no alternative. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, there's a pretty good alternative you can get for it yeah. on your on your cash. So let's talk about a few of the other things you you picked a healthcare ETF, uh, which is XL XLV. I think was the mm-hmm. one. 
um, which I presume that healthcare, uh, that's a defensive pick, right? Because yeah. uh, you're going to want to pay for your doctor even in a recession. <laughs> yeah, my, my basic thesis is an easy one. No one wants to die. So that's a pretty good investment theme. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good theme, yeah. One that seems like likely to test the the you know, stand the test of time, right? Yeah, uh, that's probably gonna that's probably gonna work. And you know, myself personally, right? And I'm sure a lot of your viewers, we didn't go to the doctor that much in you know 2020, 21. Yeah. And quite honestly, I'm in the process of setting up a, a physical, which I haven't had in you know, <laughs> three three four years, right. which my wife is on me about. And so. <laughs> You know, I think you're going to see that do well. But if you go back and you look at recessions, right, and I look back at 2000, 2001, and the S&P is down 20% over those two years, and the healthcare, uh, the S&P 500 healthcare index is up about 18% over that period of time. And even if you look at last year, the XLV, which is, you know, just uh, came into existence, um, that was down only 4% last year. So it's pretty defensive. And, you know, I do think there's, you know, people did start going back to the doctor last year. So there has been a lot of catch up, you know, spending on healthcare, but I think there is still some more to go there. And it is very defensive as you've seen during prior recessions. Okay. Another pick you made, which I thought was fascinating is uh, uranium. Um, and you, you have a uranium ETF. I have to wonder how many uranium stocks there are that are out there. Um, but, uh, what's in that? Yeah, but it's a URA, I think, is the uh, the ticker on the ETF. Um, and it's been doing pretty well so far. But like, why? What is it about uranium that um, appeals? Yeah, no. So if you look at uranium, you really got to go back to 2011. And what happened then? Well, you had Fukushima, right? The meltdown on the reactors in Japan. And right. really, that started people going away from, oh, my God, we can't use, uh, we can't yeah. do nuclear. We got to go to other sources of clean energy. The thing is, you know, you're over a decade later and there are things, there's been developments in the nuclear field. So, you know, you've got these small modular reactors, SMRs, and other things that people are looking at and saying, look, if we want to, and then you had Russia happen invading Ukraine. Right. And all of a sudden, Russia is able to weaponize oil and natural gas. And so people are going, OK, well, I need to get off of my reliance on Russian oil and natural gas. In addition, there have been some advancements in that field of nuclear. And it's you know one of the best sources of uh, power. Um, and so people are looking at that from both an energy security standpoint as well as a uh, green, um, clean energy uh, standpoint. And so that's why we're looking at URA, um, because you've seen that in, in a lot of different countries, right? That where there, even Japan is looking at nuclear again. And right. well, so, even Germany, right? They're talking about restarting. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, if you're kind of viewing it from both of those, where now you have an energy security angle to it as well, that's also an interesting pick. Right. Okay. Um, you have two others. One we'll just touch on briefly, uh, which is you have a Japanese bank. Uh, this is, uh, well, you talk about. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If you go back to 2021, if you remember, one of our top picks going into 2021 was, I, I think it was JP Morgan, actually. Um, but the bank sector in general was the third best performing sector. It was up over 30% in 2021. And if you remember, what happened was rates started to go up. Right. And so... You know, simple, simple thing, right? People deposit their money at banks. The banks then lend it out. 
and that's how they make their money. The difference between those two things. Right. Well, if rates are negative, you can't make money. And so you have to remember, Japan has gone through this process where they started quantitative easing in 2013, and they started yield curve control in 2016, which right. means they're trying to keep the, the longer dated interest rates down. And if you look at December, they actually abandoned that. So this, in some ways, is my most exciting trade, potentially, because you've had literally over a decade of them suppressing yields. And now, because inflation has picked up, they may actually be getting away from that. And you already have the analog and looking at the U.S. banks and how they performed in 2021. And so, you know, to some degree, this might be the most interesting trade um, of them all, just in the sense of it's called the Widowmaker trade, actually, for, for, for those viewers, right? Because there have been so many guys carried out on stretchers over the course of the last two decades betting against the Bank of Japan that right. they were going to have to let rates go up. And that obviously has not happened. Right. And the one that you picked is um, Mitsubishi. Um, what's the actual name of the yeah, bank? Mitsubishi Financial Group. So it's M-U-F-G. It's an ADR. It's, uh, I think, the fourth or fifth largest bank in the world. It's the biggest bank in Japan. And so that's much like picking J.P. Morgan a couple of years ago. Um, that was my way to play. Right. right. OK. So OK. So let's let's steer back into the, uh, the meat of the matter here and talk about tech. So the other pick you made, one which, as you know, I've actually been fairly cautious about is uh, is meta and of course meta has had a an interesting uh, period here where like their last quarter earnings uh was a it's going to go down as like a historic moment in the story of meta where they they of course reported the earnings themselves were not the issue it was that they they projected huge growth in spending and not just on the metaverse uh, just like a huge amount of capital spending the market freaked out. The stock dropped twenty five percent, and then two weeks later, um, they announced that they're reducing their spending and, and reducing headcount. And the stock had turned around after that. So what? What? So it seems to me like they still have some of the same issues, right? They're still competing with TikTok, uh, although we can talk more about what might happen there. Um, but they're and they're you know they're trying to monetize reels, and they still have this Apple privacy problem. And the ad market's not great looking at 2023, but the stock's cheap. What's your, why do you have Meta as one of your picks for this year? So remember, if you go back and look at some interviews I gave back um, a, a couple of months ago, after they gave that disastrous guy. It was really terrible. Yeah, it was horrible. And we bought it then. And so we bought it in the low 90s. And the reasoning, if you go back and look at those interviews I gave is, look, their core business is actually held in pretty well. So if you look at the September quarter that they reported, user engagement was actually pretty solid. Mm -hmm. um, user growth was actually fine. Um, and their earnings were actually fine, too. And so they can't control that, right? They can't control whether my kids are on TikTok or are on Instagram Reels, which is their Facebook's competitor to um, TikTok. They can't control how many people sign up for for Facebook or any of the, you know, WhatsApp or yeah. Instagram, et cetera. The only thing they can't have under their control is expenses. And when they gave the expense guide or people read down, like the stock was actually up in the aftermarket when people saw the headlines. And then they saw the full press release with the expenses and the stock just started to get absolutely clocked. Right. So my thesis was very simple. 
I looked at it and I said, well, the stuff I, that worries me the most, Reels went from a billion dollars in run rate revenues in the June quarter to three billion in the September quarter. So clearly people are using that product and it's, and it's picked up some momentum and that was a concern. And I'm like, the expenses they have under their own control. And if you look at Facebook's history, typically when they guide for expenses for the next year, which is what they did, right. they give you a very large number. And then that typically goes down, even if their revenues come in higher than what people were thinking for the mm -hmm. out year, and they don't guide for revenues. And so you combine that with the fact that it got down to, I think, below a 10 multiple at one point. And I looked at it and I said, well, compared to a Google that's sitting up at an, a high teens multiple, which has all the same issues around advertising and ad spending right. that Facebook's going to have. And I, I just made the assumption, look, they're going to cut their expense guidance. They're, so they're going to lower it. And it right. took two weeks. And it, and it only took me two weeks. So I got lucky with that because I figured when they reported, you know, the December quarters, when they would slash that and bring that down. But, the, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is not stupid, right? He, I'm sure he was surprised with the way the stock got absolutely hammered. But this is a different environment than think a year ago, right? A year ago, if a company comes out and says, oh, we're going to spend a lot on the metaverse and, you know, you pick whatever sexy thing, crypto or whatever, NFTs, et cetera, the stock would have been up a ton, right? And so I think to some degree, they didn't kind of realize we're in an environment where people care about profitable growth. And right. I think that's very different than what you've seen arguably over the last decade. Right. Um, and so that, that's the environment we're in today. Okay. So uh, we have, I'm going to, uh, we, we have lots of questions from our, uh, our viewers, and I'm going to touch on a couple of them. Um, there's a few that touch on, there's a few that touch on Google and you know, Alphabet, of course. And, you know, we touched on it briefly because of the advertising outlook, there's some, there's a few other wrinkles here, right? So you know, one is, uh, there's a, there's a the, kind of a landmark piece of litigation that's coming later this year that covers Google's relationship with Apple. There's a lot of concern about the potential impact on, uh, Google search of chat GBT and, uh, chat GPT. And, uh, and AI. I wonder how you're feeling about app, uh, Alphabet here, aside from the relative valuation with Meta, what's your sense of Alphabet here? Yeah, I mean, we've written this up on dannows.com with all the details, but very simply, you can think about it this way. A lot of investors, they look at history and they don't kind of think how it's different today versus before. And if you go back and look at Google, you know, you look at um, the last real recession we had, um, the 0708 one and you know advertising spending dropped for the overall ad market so online and offline right. by over 20% over that two-year period of time and Google did fine they growth slow but they still grew but remember online advertising is a percentage of the total advertising market back in 0708 was around 13% of the total ad market right today it's two-thirds of the total ad yeah, it's just a remarkable change, right? It's, yeah, it's incredible. Right. So if you're sort of going, oh, well, look at how Google did the last recession. That's a really, you're not really thinking that through because now they're so big that they're going to feel it if the ad market slows down. And right. so if you believe there's a recession coming, which I completely do, and we can go into the reasons why I give that high odds. But if you believe that, then you got to believe advertising spending slows down and Google's going to see that, much like Facebook, by the way, is going to see that as well. And, you know, you pick your favorite online 
um, advertising company, they're all going to see it. But a lot of investors are hiding in Google thinking, ah, it's a great company. You know, what could possibly go wrong here? It's Google. I use their products all the time. And as I tell people, don't confuse a great product with a great stock. I own a Tesla, but clearly Tesla was not a great stock last year. <laughs> so, and it neither was Apple, neither was Microsoft. Right. I mean, you pick it, Amazon, whatever. So I think that's the key right now is that I don't think people are modeling, because I looked at the Google estimates and people have Google revenues growing over the next couple of years. And I'm like, well, if advertising spending is going to decline, I don't know how Google escapes that. And so to me, there's a big difference between what people think is going to happen and what I think is going to happen, which is there's a really good shock. Revenues are down year over year at some point over the course of the next year or two. OK, so uh, we talked a little bit earlier in, in the discussion around uh, a likely slowdown in enterprise spend. And if you think about who the most vulnerable players are there, and of course, there's a lot of players in the enterprise space. But the ones that most immediately come to mind in some ways are the cloud players. That's where the growth has been. And the biggest uh, cloud players are two very familiar names you just mentioned in passing, Microsoft and Amazon. They are, uh, you know, Google plays there too, but Amazon uh, and Microsoft, uh, Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure are the big boys here. In, in, um, and over the last two quarters, their growth in both cases has slowed and has and they've missed uh, expectations the last couple of quarters. How worried should people be about what we're going to see in for the Q4 numbers and then going forward on growth for the cloud? And what does it mean for those two stocks? Yeah, I mean, investors should be terrified because that's where the multiples come from, right? right? Nobody owns Microsoft at a 26 PE because they're excited about the PC business, right? I mean, you look at the PC companies, the Dells, HPs, et cetera. I mean, they trade at like 10, 10, 10 multiples, not 26, right? right. And by well, the way, well, yes, well, Dan, that like PC demand is terrible, right? So yeah. that's yeah. not going to drive the business for a while. No, no that's not going to save you. And the, by the way, the market P, the S&P is around 18 times, right? So that's that's the relative. So the multiple for Microsoft comes from the, optimi the optimism around cloud business for Amazon it's even much more critical because Amazon doesn't make money on their retail business right all the profits come from their advertising business and then Amazon Web Services which is the biggest by far it's twice as big as the next closest competitor and that mm -hmm. generates all the profits so if you have a slowdown in that business that's going to be very impactful for Amazon as a company, because obviously Amazon doesn't really have a PE, it's like 75 times or so. Right. But as we've seen, Tesla even now has a PE, right? It didn't used to, but now <laughs> Tesla's PE is down to the mid 20s. So I think you need to really think about this because, you know, Sachin Adal actually had this great TV interview in, uh, in India a couple of weeks ago where, you know, they're, they're talking to him about all the different things and he's, bullish long-term as he should be, as I am, about technology and becoming a bigger portion of GDP spend, et cetera, over time. But then, you know, he talks about, well, yeah, they ask about, you know, how do you see things in the near term? And he's like, yeah, I think for the next two years, things are going to be tough. I'm like, two years? <laughs> like most CEOs, when they say things are going to be tough, it's like, well, it's six months, maybe it's a year. If they're being- We're going to have a quarter or two, they would say. Yeah, a quarter or two problem. It's always a quarter or two problem, right? And it's a rolling quarter or two, right? <laughs> Every quarter, it's, it's a quarter right. or two until, you know, you're a year into it. 
So I saw that and I think he's one of the best tech CEOs out there, right? He really yeah. helped reinvent Microsoft into this player in the cloud. And so the fact that he's worried about the next two years and the fact that the PE is sitting up at 26 times, he's only saying that because he's seeing something in his business. And by the way, if you look at the, the, the quarter they report in September, they'd already started to see a slowdown. And the numbers would have come down even more if there hadn't been an accounting change, which they were very upfront about. Right. But they changed the useful life of their servers and their data centers. And so that helped their EPS by about 40 cents last year. Right, because less depreciation was on the... Absolutely. And, and, and by the way, that's all perfectly legal. But it masks the fact that earnings on a apples to apples basis, if you don't make those changes, you know, was, would have come down quite a bit faster. And so I think that's why, to me, both Amazon and Microsoft, because of their reliance on it, you know, less so Google, uh, much less so Google. Um, those are the two that that should concern you. But, you know, people care about Google Cloud, too. So let's not kid ourselves. And it is it, it is a, right. it's just a smaller market. slice of the total. And probably. Yeah, does. absolutely. So on a relative basis, it doesn't matter. For Amazon, it's a very it's a small percentage of revenues, but it's a massive percentage of profits. Right. Which is why you have to care there. And which is why I look at Amazon. And yes, you should have optimism about them opening up their e-commerce business to other companies to sell through Amazon. But again, that's not where the profitability is. It's yeah. in advertising, which, you know, as I said before, in a recession, that doesn't tend to do as well with Amazon. They're picking up share. So that'll help offset it. Right. Um, but the stock, web the services is, are the biggest. I mean, the stock was down, you know, this is like one of those situations where the stock was down 50%. Uh, last year, roughly, and uh, almost exactly 50%, I think. And that's the kind of thing where people go, all right, I know things are, you know, they, can I look across the chasm? You know, can I look across the other side? And maybe it's time to nibble. But on the other hand, as you point out, stocks that are down 50% can go down 50% still, right? So so there's some problems with the math there, but but that's that's why I think that one is is intriguing to some people at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is intriguing, but the thing I go back to is something I said earlier, right, Eric, which is it's got a 75 PE. Now, I know nobody right. values Microsoft off of a PE basis, but and nobody valued Tesla off of a PE right. either right. until they did. Until they did. Right. So I, my thing is that there's no reason to be a hero and to try to step in front of this thing. I mean, right. the example I'll give in terms of one of my colossal screw ups last year that I had was we were in Facebook and I was thinking going into them reporting the December quarter and then guiding for March, I was like, well, you know, yeah, I think the numbers might be a little bit light. You know, I'll, I'll hedge it a little bit by selling covered calls. I mean, I have a bad feeling about the economy in 2021. Let's not forget, right? I thought the market was gonna be down 20% in right. 20, sorry, 2022. And I was worried about Facebook. And instead of doing what I originally thought, which was sell it, I tried to hedge it. And then, as you remember, they reported, said TikTok was a problem. The stock got absolutely hammered. I sold right. it down 26%. Now, to my credit, I sold it at 250. And, you know, we bought three times as much of it when the stock was in the low 90s. And right. so Facebook actually made money for us last year. Right. It was a top 10 return in the fund. No, no. That's right. So, but the thing, again, it's timing, it's risk management. And I was just stupid. Like I should have, I was worried about earnings and that's a mistake. A lot of investors, I think, unfortunately are making, because if you think about the last 13 years, 
-hmm. you haven't been punished for being wrong. Think about, think about 2021, right? Amazon missed a couple of quarters in 2021. Netflix missed subscriber numbers in 2021. Both right. stocks were up. Right. You could have been absolutely wrong about the fundamentals and made money anyway. Right. That's no longer true. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. 2022, Amazon missed. Netflix missed. They weren't up in 2022. <laughs> right. And so it's it's a lot different. And I think the problem is, and I tell this, you know, in the speeches I give, I say, you got to forget everything you thought you learned about investing over the last 13 years, because that wasn't normal. Right. That was Fed-induced stimulus combined with government checks that let, that papered over any issues you had. And so people that all they were doing was in quote unquote investing in innovation stocks or you know companies that were going to change the world a decade from now. Right. You know, that was fine because it didn't matter if you were making any money. And who knows what the company that's going to dominate is going to be 10 years from now, which is the problem I have with that thesis to begin with. Right. Right. Because, you know. You can kind of look back at the history, right? There was MySpace, and then this company called Facebook came along and took them out. There was Alta Vista and, you know, Netscape, and then Yahoo, and then this company called Google, right? You go Nokia first, and the StarTac with Motorola, then the Rim BlackBerry, and then this thing called an iPhone. Like, what's that, <laughs> right? So, yeah. like, to think you know a decade from now what the big winner is going to be? Yeah, you don't. It's the height of hubris in my mind, because I've lived through this long enough to know that it keeps changing. And that's why I try to keep adapting to the environment as it changes. Right. Okay. So uh, we've got just a couple of minutes. Uh, we're, we're over already, but just a couple more minutes. One I, I, I have to ask about uh, that I think is fascinating going into this quarter is Apple. So, you know, Apple, um, Apple's been under pressure for a few weeks now, really since the last, their last quarter, in part because of concerns about iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max production in China. They got way behind. Everybody slashed their numbers for the December quarter, uh, particularly for iPhone uh, units. And now the the interesting question is going to be, what do they say going forward, right? Like, what are they, are they, do they lose, you know, they destroy the uh, demand or does it all just get shoved along to later into uh, in the year. And then also for Apple, the question really is, are they really growth story anymore? Like, so the, you know, Apple had sort of stopped growing for a while. Like they weren't really growing at all. Right. iPhone demanded flattened out. PC demanded flattened out. There wasn't other than services, nothing was really growing. And so now as we head into the, you know, into this quarter, and of course for them, it's like, it's not the fiscal year end, but it is a, a crucial quarter. And it feels like it's less about what they do in the December quarter than what do they say about the March quarter. I'm wondering how you feel about Apple. And I know that you've been on both sides of this one over time. Like you've um, uh, been in as a classic hedge fund stock, right? Um, Trade them out of it. What's your current thinking on Apple as we go into earnings uh, in a week or two? Yeah, we've been writing about this for a very long time. Apple was a pandemic beneficiary. You can for look sure. at the numbers. Right. Smartphone units, to your point, for the industry had not grown in four years prior to the pandemic. Right. You can look at Apple in 2019, you know, Mac and I believe, you know, it was some combination. Of, I'm going to forget the exact numbers, but it's like Mac, iPad and iPhones were down right. um, at some point in 2019, year over year. And they were down for multiple quarters, um, some combination of that. And we've, we've gotten this written up. Um, 
services is what was driving growth. Right. And so what happened during the pandemic? Well, I bought some, you know, new iPhones. My kids were home from college. They had to, you know, be on Zoom calls, et cetera. You know, brought some Macs. People upgraded the entire infrastructure. Absolutely. And so Apple's revenues massively accelerated from being down year over year to being up over 50% year over year. And if you look at it, the revenues have then decelerated. So you get to where we are today. And this is all, this is what we know. We know the stock trades at a 23 multiple. We know the market trades at an 18 multiple. So you're not getting paid any bargain to buy it. You right. know where a Dell or an HP or those names trade, given the markets they're in, are no growth. And by the way, the PC market's no growth, where the Macs are. The smartphone market's no growth. And the iPad market was no growth. So you know all of this. And so now the debate that every, the, if you're bullish, what you say is, well, the demand wasn't to, is gonna just come back in the March quarter and the June quarter for all the manufacturing issues you had in, in China. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, for the manufacturing issues you had in China. And right. so I think um, my, my feeling is a little different that this goes back to the same thing which is you look at Amazon, you look at Peloton, you look at Zoom and all the pandemic beneficiaries, you've seen the numbers come down and people want you know, to look at Apple and say, well, I have an iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. It's a great company. What could go wrong? And what I would remind you is Apple invented the PC industry and it almost went bankrupt until Microsoft put in 25% ownership of the company. Yeah, so we're a long they, ways from there. Yeah. yeah, we're a long ways from there. But remember this, You've got a very big valuation difference and people then are also saying, well, services is going to be great. What people forget is they get a ton of their services revenues from Google. Yeah. And so if you're advertising and that, by the way, that's pure profit. Right. So right. if your advertising business at Google slows down, that's going to feed into the profitability of Apple. And I think people are spending their money today, not upgrading their iPhones because they already did it during the pandemic. They're right. doing it, going to restaurants, going on vacation, going to movies, et cetera, and doing all those things that they couldn't do for the greater part of two to three years. Okay. And so that's why for me, the multiple, and this is the key, right? The multiple, you, you can't, for the last 13 years, you've gotten away with not having to care what you were paying for a stock. Right. Now you got to care. Right. And, and that's a very different environment. So for me, you have to wait what you're paying and the multiple and look at other companies that do similar things. And you have to be much more concerned about it right. um, than you were, you know, really for the last 13 years. Okay. Well, I could certainly keep going. Um, I will get in trouble from our producer. Uh, we are over time. Dan, this is so much fun. Thank you again for, uh, for doing this. Uh, oh, it's always fun. Um, and we will do it again before too long. Um, thanks to everyone for joining us today on the call. Uh, please, please join us for Barron's Life again tomorrow. Uh, Market Watch reporter Jessica Hall will be talking to Catherine Collinson, who's the chief executive of a nonprofit called the Trans America Institute, um, to talk about retirement. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Be well and stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.